You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Archaeology Podcast Network's Conference Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about the recent European Association of Archaeologists online virtual conference. To take us through it, I have one of my friends and a PhD researcher, Matilda Siebricht, who specializes in bone tool analysis through microware, and who's also the host of the Exarch Friendly Friday podcasts. Well, thank you very much for sitting down with me today. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for inviting me. A nice surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just wondering... Um, we like this is this is one of the biggest online virtual conferences that has happened this year. It's actually one of the biggest conferences that happens during the year anyway. Um kind of overall, what what's your kind of what was your takeaway from the whole experience? How how do you feel it came across? Well, for me personally, so I will say first of all, I was not uh, I was not presenting at this conference. I was there merely as a participant, um, which might also skew my view of things. So, apologies to any presenters listening who go, "What? It wasn't like that at all." But from from a uh, participant perspective, I would say I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that it was actually I was not originally intending to join uh, the EAA conference this year. My research at the moment is more based in uh, American archaeology. I'm more focused on Canadian archaeology at the moment. And so even though I was interested in a lot of the talks, I had thought, oh, well, you know, I only have a certain amount of budget for conferences this year, so I won't bother going. And then I got an email um, from the EAA saying, oh, you know, as a member of the EAA, here is your uh, free registration link to join this year's virtual EAA conference. So I thought, well, I guess uh, if it's if it's free and I have a link and I have the time at the moment, so sure, uh, why not attend it? So I can, I'm not sure how it would be for those people who were originally planning to, for example, go to Budapest and attend it in person. Maybe that would have been more disappointing. But for me personally, I it was more inconvenient for me to go. So I had already decided, well, okay, I can't, I can't afford to, and I don't have the time to travel there uh, this year. So I'll, I won't, I won't go. So actually the opportunity to join online was already for me a very positive thing. So that kind of, uh, already from the start already made me think quite, quite well of it. And, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it was, was my, my general thing. Again, that might more be because I was sort of pleasantly surprised that I could join it. Um, if that makes sense, but I, I think that it was a really nice opportunity and making it a little more accessible for those people like me, um, who, I mean, I'm quite lucky. I, I'm a paid researcher and I have a budget for these things, but there's also a lot of, for example, student researchers or perhaps um, archaeologists from uh, maybe smaller institutions who don't have the budget to send their researchers off to these conferences who wouldn't have had a chance to go and they now had the chance to attend this conference. So I think for that reason alone, I, I think it was very good. That sounds really, really good and very, very positive. Um, I understand that the EAA, they weren't just doing Zoom. They actually had their own platform. And what was your kind of experience um, using that platform that they they had? It was a kind of like a sign-in place. Were things kind of like laid out on the screen and you kind of picked a session? Or how did you kind of navigate through the conference? 
Yes. Yeah, so it was, uh, what was it called? Hope, Hopin, Hopin, um, I think was the platform that they used. And it was, uh, so you had to register in advance. So I'd registered sort of a, a week before and they had, um, up until the day of the conference, I think a couple of weeks until the day of the conference, they had, uh, some sort of test ones, uh, test rooms for people to enter to check that they knew how it all worked and everything. So they provide, they did provide that beforehand for those who were, who had the time to sort of check it out themselves, um, which was quite good. And then on the days themselves, they had, uh, it was sort of a, a menu down the side with sessions, live stage, um, and then the, the fair, the sort of stall that's going on, because for those of you who have attended these, kinds of conference before, usually there's the the lectures going on or the sort of the talks and the different sessions. But then at the same time, there'll be some big hall somewhere where, you know, uh, publishers have their stands or local archaeological companies or museums or, or societies and those kind of things, um, which I was wondering how they were going to manage that. And they actually had uh, a, a, a separate sort of little um, channel, shall we say, uh, for specifically for that fair. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. But so they had these uh, sort of main different uh, menus down the side on on a side menu. And then within, so for example, if you clicked on them, the sessions, they would have, and I mean, yeah, for those of you who know the EAAs, there's a lot of sessions going on at the same time. I mean, there's so many talks, um, which actually for, for this, I found really great. I have to say when I was, I've attended EAAs before um, in person, which uh, obviously is great in different ways, but one of the downsides of the EAA and any really, like you mentioned, that it was it's one of the biggest archaeological conferences. Any massive conference like that, with over you know hundreds and hundreds of talks going on, and uh, yeah, you're going to have issues with. I mean, I think they had something like 400 sessions or something like that over the course of the conference. So you're going to have a lot of issues with overlap and trying frantically to run from one session to another. It's impossible to, for example, catch the first half of, you know, some talks in one session and then go to a different session that you're interested in. You really have to, to stick with one, you know, and then that's it. You're sort of stuck there for the four hours or so that the session runs, which obviously sometimes very interesting, especially if it's a specific topic that you're interested in, that's quite good. But especially for me, I was more there to get a sort of a range of, um, like uh, information and uh, to see what different studies were going on. So I actually found it really nice that they had all of the sessions that were currently going on on the screen. And if you went into one and if there was perhaps a talk that wasn't so relevant for the work you were doing, or if there was a talk in a different one, which was particularly interesting and you really wanted to catch that one talk from that session, you could just click into that session and you'd be there. Um, and it was, and then you could listen for the talk and then go back to the other session if you wanted to. Um, the way they had it set up was that the speakers could uh, share their microphone and share their video. Um, and then participants were just chatting. Uh, so in, in sort of typed chat. So that meant it was actually nice. It was sort of, you could, you could already be typing comments or questions alongside the presentations as they were going on, which actually is also how we do it um, in the Finally Friday in the question and answer sessions. But uh, yeah, so I, I thought that that was quite good as well. So in terms of the setup, um, I feel like in some ways it was but more beneficial actually, especially when you have a conference of that size with that amount of sessions going on to have uh, it, it in a digital format, which meant you were more easily able to switch between different talks and to experience different talks as well, if that makes sense. 
Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, Were there any instances of this is more of a paragraph than a phrase? (laughs) Yeah, as in as in the well, I have a question. Well, actually, it's not. But but then that's the great thing about when you have it all typed up. If the so it was the moderator's job to um, like the, the session chair to keep an eye on on the chats that were coming in, and so when we had the discussion moment or, you know, the question and answer session, they would, uh, the speakers could also see the chat. So they would sometimes also directly answer it. But then if there were any that, you know, were just these quite typical, you know, you know, you know, the people I, I mean, who and say, oh, well, oh, my opinion, it doesn't really need an answer. And so you don't have to answer it. So they would just say, mm, yes, nice point. But you wouldn't have to go through the five minutes it took for them to <laughs> state their point, you know. Um, so also in that case, you could say it was it was more beneficial. <laughs> That's really good. And I think this is this is the thing about going online is that there are these things that actually might be better than uh, an in-person kind of uh, situation. So that, that, yeah. that is quite a good one. Um, but I, I obviously... Yeah, and obviously having something written down means you put a name to it and you can present somebody with something. If they've said something that's a bit off color, you know, you can kind of present that to them. Um, No, that that does sound very good. Did you have an idea of how many other people were present or is it just showing you who was typing? No, yes, they had a, a little in the in the top of the screen. They had uh, how many people were joined into that session at the time. So you could see, so, I mean, in some of them, I think the biggest one I had had like 60 or something participants. Um, and the majority usually had sort of 20 or so, um, around, you know, in the twenties. Um, but also, uh, related to the point you said before, what's also good about the chat is that you can, uh, people were posting links, people were, you know, sharing documents, uh, doing like there. So, you know, someone would mention, oh, this study by so-and-so in their presentation and someone would ask a question like, Oh, what was that? You know, what's that study you mentioned? And then the speaker could actually post the link to the study, uh, in the chat. So you could already sort of click on it and download it, which uh, was also very useful. I thought. That is really useful. No, that, 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 those are aspects that are definitely, uh, much, much better. Now, I will have to ask because it's inevitably mm-hmm. something that's asked about every move to digital. Yeah. Um, technical <laughs> issues. How, how, from the ones that you experienced, um, obviously a yeah. selected bias, uh, like there's a selection bias there, but do you feel that there was um, some technical issues that had to be worked through um, or not really much at all? Yes, no, there definitely were. Um, a lot of the issues were mainly related to people's internet connection, which is sort of, I, I feel like mm-hmm. when organizing a conference of that side, there's only a certain amount that you can do to sort of uh, avoid those kind of issues from taking place. Mm-hmm. But there were, um, there was a, a problem repeatedly where somehow you couldn't share because I think what had happened um, when the EAA decided they wanted to go online, I imagine they had asked all of the speakers to record their presentation because uh, the majority of the speakers did have it pre-recorded. Um, so, you know, they had a little video of themselves giving the talk. Um, a lot of the speakers then used this pre-recorded talk already. Um, quite a few of them decided to actually just skip it and they s- shared their screen with a PowerPoint presentation and you could share your screens within it. So they would share their screen. You could maximize that 
a particular screen. Um, and then they would just talk and, and do it sort of in a more, na- in a more, what we would consider natural, you know, conference situation. But, um, there were a couple of times where they tried to play a pre-recorded presentation. And for some reason, in some particular, I don't know, some people were using Firefox and not Chrome or something like that. And then the sound didn't work. And then, so there were uh, some issues, I think, in terms of compatibility with the platform that was being used. Um, and that was a bit of a problem. I, mean, I remember in one uh, session, uh, there was a problem with a lady who didn't have very good internet, a speaker. Um, and uh, yeah, so she couldn't she couldn't share her screen. It was just her internet was cutting out and sending her out of the room too much. But she had pre-recorded it, but then they couldn't get it to work pre-recorded wise. But I must say... Um, they posted a, I actually posted a little thing on the main page. There was a main chat for technical issues and everything. And you could post, we need help in this room. Um, mm-hmm. In most of the rooms, they also had some, like a volunteer who was there specifically to help with technical difficulties. So if something started going wrong, they could be working in the background um, and trying to work out what was going on. In that one, for some reason, I, we didn't have one. I think they hadn't shown up or they got confused. Um, so I went and asked for technical help and within two minutes, there was, uh, some, we'd started with another talk instead. And within two minutes, there was someone there working things out and she was, I think her name was Katia. I can't remember her last name. She was one of the main volunteers or one of the main organizers, I mean, um, of the EAA. And, uh, yeah, she got it sorted, you know, within five minutes. So even though there were, there were technical difficulties, but to the extent that they could, I feel like they dealt with them fairly well. However, like I say, this was just in the, in the sessions that I saw. I don't know how it was in, in other sessions, for example. I mean, this is uh, evidently something that will happen to every online conference. I think it is mm-hmm. one of the realizations this year that um, unfortunately not everybody has the same access to the same connectivity as mm-hmm. other people. And I actually, I think this is one of the really, really mm-hmm. strong arguments for looking at uh, access to the internet as not just a luxury it is a necessity in good internet speed as well Definitely. so did you find yourself making use of the switching between sessions or did you kind of stick to like a session like a themed session or you know did you kind of dip in and out what what, what were you actually like what did you do through the day yeah so i had uh, i'd made myself because yeah there were so many sessions um uh, this is usually how i approach conferences anyway i make myself a little timetable of all the sort of interesting uh sessions that i would want to attend because as i say usually with an in-person conference you kind of you are stuck with one session. So I usually first look at the sessions, but then I did make a note of kind of secondary ones that I could be interested in. Or I had, for example, quite a few uh, colleagues or friends who were presenting in other sessions. So I'd noted down what time they were uh, presenting. Um, so I did indeed, there were some times where a friend was, for example, presenting in a session that wasn't of particular interest to me necessarily, but I wanted to support them in their presentation, you know, and give uh, feedback of how they, how I thought they did and, you know, that kind of thing. So then I would kind of keep an eye on the time. And usually, at least for the ones I was in, people seem to be fairly good at keeping on time um, as much as any conference, really. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so you could usually sort of give or take 10 minutes. The talks were also only 15 minutes usually. So um, there was sort of less less chance for longer periods um because usually after 20 minutes if they'd still been going then the moderator would say yeah okay um we need to wrap up now and you know move on to the next one so i i tried to keep 
an eye on time. And if I needed to, then I would sort of switch over to another session, see which talk they were on at the moment and see, you know, whether I could pop back another time or whether it was then another minute until my friend was talking. So then I'd wait. Um, so in that respect, I popped over. I also did occasionally, um, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's happened to everyone. There's, you know, everyone finds different talks, interesting at conferences, lots of different topics are relevant to different people. There's certain topics that are just, you know, not so, uh, not so relevant to my current research. Also perhaps not so interesting to my, uh, personal tastes. Uh, it's not to say that they're not interesting to everyone, but you know, you know, so you, you enter a, a, a room, you think, oh yeah, this looks great. According to the abstracts and everything, you start listening to the presentations and you realize, mm, okay, no, actually this is very, this is very different to what I thought it was going to be. Um, and then if you're at an in-person conference, usually you think, oh, okay, so this is, you know, two hours of my life that I've now then <laughs> sort of wasted because it's really rude to get up and leave, you know, when, what do you do sort of thing and how do you leave? And, and, uh, yeah. Um, but then yeah, at an online conference, if you are getting a bit bored or if it seems that it's really not the session for you, then I did that, um, twice actually, I have to admit, uh, where I then, got a bit bored after the first two talks and thought, okay, no, this is not, this is not what I wanted. Um, so I went and found a different uh, session, which was perhaps not so related to my research, but I found interesting, um, that then if I had been in an in-person conference also, I probably wouldn't have gone to because you are then dedicating yourself to that conference. But I thought, well, let's just give it a try, see how it goes. And they were very interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I did do that a couple of times. It's also good if, if you're a bit late to a session, um, it's not that awkward, you know, shuffling in at the back and trying not to shut the door too loudly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I did, I definitely did switch between sessions quite a lot. We've all done that with the door. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. definitely <laughs> more than once. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hear more about that after this short break. And we're back speaking on the Archaeology Podcast Network's uh, conference podcast. This is a special episode talking about the virtual conference of the EAA this year, uh, which was meant to be in Budapest. Um, so we were just talking about switching between uh, sessions because it's something that you can now do. And, you know, you could probably do it in an in-person conference, but as we discussed, it's sometimes a little bit awkward sneaking around yeah. <laughs> but there is there is another thing that you do lose with the virtual conference um or the idea of the virtual conference is the kind of in-person meetings that you have with people that you may not have seen in a while there or just that you you, you get to know i um i remember when i was in bern uh last year for eaa um that was really like i met a lot of people in between sessions mm. that I, you know, I, I could chat with and talk to and get to like, I, I had really, really good conversations with. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wonder if there's a kind of, there's that kind of separation as well. I mean, um, you're active on Twitter. I, mm -hmm. I guess Twitter was kind of talking back and forth at the same time. What do you think? Do you like, that kind of in-person uh, meeting at conferences, that's something I do, but mm -hmm. I don't know, is that something you ever did? Yeah, so I was wondering when this uh, topic would come up because it inevitably does when talking about uh, online conferences. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think actually you, you noticed, and that's why you asked me to, to do this, that I was, I was on Twitter a lot um, during this one. So in online conferences, I can remember, for example, the last 
EAA conference I went to, I think the last one I went to was in Maastricht, um, so a couple of years ago. And especially if it's a conference of that size, it's, it, it's, it's great for catching up with people that you already know. But in terms of networking with new people, I personally find that very difficult. I, you know, it's intimidating to um, go up and sort of say to someone random, like, hi, you know, I'm Matilda, what do you do kind of thing. Um, it's, I guess, easier in terms of I, I hope that I would be able to, for example, if I found a speaker's talk really interesting, I might want to, I might go up and talk to them about it afterwards or, you know, ask their opinion on things. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I do in, in in-person conferences, I do try, um, with smaller ones, I find that generally easier because you sort of all know what everyone's been doing. But I guess with the EAA, my main problem as well is that there's so many sessions that it's not that you kind of have a quick chat with someone for five minutes, you know, at a coffee break, and then they'll go off to another session. You'll go off to a different session and you'll probably never see them again, you know? So it's, it's more difficult to kind of then maintain that relationship if the relationship's a strong word, but, um, you know, if you're, if you're at a smaller conference, then it's kind of, you're in a session together, you have a quick chat, you're in the same session together afterwards, then you can say, oh, so what did you think of that one? You know, you can, it's easier to maintain that in that respect. And I do have to say for me personally, the, that aspect of it. So getting to know people within your sessions, um, and the speakers, I actually felt more confident in doing that with the, um, with the, the format that they had with the typed question sort of paddle, um, within each session, because you didn't feel like you were, you know, at the end of a, of a talk and they say, Oh, any questions for the speakers? And you feel like, Oh, I I have this question, but, Oh, it seems so insignificant. Like maybe it's not that important. Oh, I'll wait. And if there's time, then I'll do it. And inevitably there's never time. So you never get to ask your question. You never get to interact with the speaker and you just kind of, you know, shuffle out the door. Maybe this is my Britishness coming in. Um, (laughs) the, yeah. Whereas in, in the question one, I thought, well, okay, if it's insignificant, they can just ignore it. You know, it's not, it's not, taking up anyone's time. It's not being too out there. So in a way, I at least found it easier to interact a lot more, um, with other people and with the speakers and, you know, make ask questions, make comments. But I will say that I did notice that usually within a, a session, there were one or two where that was an exception, but, um, in general, it seemed that, considering the amount of people that were joining the session, there were a very small percentage who were actually interacting in the chat panel. And I feel like that is something that is just because we're not so, or the majority of people perhaps are not so um, used to talking like that and chatting like that in an online community. I guess there's, I mean, I have become more used to that now with doing these finally Friday sessions because that's done through discord Um, so I'm used to now, you know, if someone's doing so, I chat around and I say, oh, this is like that thing. And, you know, I, I'm sure you remember when I joined the archaeology podcast network conference, I was chatting the whole time because I was more Mm -hmm. used to it then. And I was finding it quite easy, but I can imagine for a lot of people that Mm -hmm. might Mm -hmm. not be as easy and they might find it easier to speak to people in person. So that was just sort of in, in terms of the sessions, um, in terms of networking in between the sessions, the, uh, they actually had a, a, a networking session. So they'd have breaks, they'd have lunch breaks and coffee breaks, um, in between the sessions. And they had a little, I noticed on the left-hand side, so they had sessions, live stage, uh, fair, 
And then they had networking, which I thought, oh, I wonder what this is. And I, I clicked on it and it comes up with a screen that has a little button um, saying enter now. And it says above it, prepare to meet a random person or something like, I can't remember the exact wording. And, you know, then you click enter now, which to me, it was, I mean, my goodness, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you have to be, I think, a very confident and know person to be like yeah sure you know it's like chat roulette like kind of thing you know which maybe some people are better at than me but for me personally I didn't do it I have to admit I should have it was I yeah I, I do regret not trying it and I think some people did try it I noticed and and you know met some interesting people but yeah I, I really wonder how many people did use that um opportunity to actually meet new people because to me it was a lot more, uh, yeah, scary, I guess, than, than just sort of having a chat with someone at the buffet bar, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, definitely. I mean, honestly, uh, the, the only reason I do talk to people apart from being, you know, very, very outgoing is that I usually have a recorder in my hand and I usually have a reason to go up to people. It's, it's, it's actually one of the things is like, I, I, I very much rely on being a not a not a journalist, but like a kind of pseudo journalist in a way because yeah. I can, I have a reason to go up to people. You exactly. know, I have a reason to say, yeah. Oh, hi! I I have a I I work for the Archaeology Podcast Network. Would you like to talk about your research? <laughs> oh, oh, go on, please. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You have to. Which, which to me is always a problem at in-person conferences is I can never think of a reason to approach someone apart from just like, I liked their talk, which then that sounds so, I loved your talk, you know, it's, uh. Yeah, but I'm, no, but that is a good thing. You know, like I, I would like that the other, (laughs) like (laughs) the opposite, you know, um, (laughs) your talk was terrible. (laughs) I mean, no, but that, that's, that, that's a wee bit rude, isn't it? I mean, these are the things, these are. I think there I think you're absolutely right in identifying that there there are changes in conference etiquette, mm. you know. But nobody ever talks about conference etiquette really. Like there's no there's no list of rules for conference etiquette. And I must say that like the first conference I ever went to was the EAA in Glasgow in oh, 2015. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know how to what a conference was like mm. you know what i mean like it was a it was a new experience for me and i think it's funny that there are unspoken rules at conferences i i find i think there there's kind of like there's ways of doing things like the whole you know moving between like talks and everything and you know mm. trying to not make comments and make questions instead of comments that are relevant and not lengthy at all mm. and I think it, it's it's interesting that we're going to have to de- develop a new kind of way of doing this. Um, do you think, obviously, um, do you think that going forward, um, do you think that the these online virtual conferences um, are good enough to replace physical conferences? Or do you still think that there's more value in a in-person conference uh, perhaps for something maybe that's more that's definitely in your wheelhouse rather than something that's a bit more general like mm. well for example um 
one of my favorite conferences to go to is the XR conference, um, experimental oh, really? society <laughs> conference. Yeah, surprisingly. Um, that was actually <laughs> the first ever conference I ever went to back in, uh, back in undergrad was, uh, the XR conference in, Ber- in Dublin. And, uh, I guess the thing, because it's focused on experimental archaeology, they always include, you know, a demonstration of something, you know? So, so they had like someone playing the, um, oh shoot, I've forgotten the name of it. Uh, those, uh, Iron Age big horns that they had in Scotland with the, with the sort of, um, wolf's head on the top or something. And it sounds like a really loud horn, the war horns. Oh, I can't remember what they're called. This is going to annoy me. Never mind. I'll find it later and let you know, and you can edit it in. Um, but, um, the, uh, they had, for example, someone who'd made a replica, a replica instrument, shall we say. Um, so they had made a replica instrument and they were demonstrating it or they were, um, showing the facilities at university college Dublin. So they were showing the house rebuilding project and you could physically go into the house and they were showing all the pottery and, you know, all of this kind of thing. So with something like that, where it relies so much on the physical um, sort of interaction and the sort of experience of it, that I think is difficult to make into an online environment. Although I must say one of the talks I saw at the EAA was about um, sounds in the past and uh, archaeology of music. And there was a guy who had, I'm so sorry, I've forgotten his name, but um, who had made replica instruments um, from Mesoamerican context, I think, and was demonstrating them. Uh, so, you know, that was possible to see, but, but something like that, those kind of conferences. Um, so that for me is, is one of the big ones. I'm trying to think of the other kind of conferences that I, I attend, but I think out of all of them, the, the the main one that involves some kind of more practical interaction with the material would be the Exarch uh, conference and the rest of them, to be honest, they're, it's, yeah, it's a difficult thing to, actually, it was interesting. I, um, I was listening to the archaeology podcast network the other day and, uh, heard, um, mm-hmm. an episode, uh, by Chris Webster about, um, I can't remember who the guest speaker was now, and I can't remember what the title of the episode was, but about um, online teaching in universities. And uh, um, yeah, and and his speaker made a really good point. I thought in the the um, yeah the online teaching, you have to find better ways to engage with the students because uh, you have to make sure that they kind of stay involved because it's a lot harder digitally. And then he was saying, which you know is silly because really, why should it be limited to digital? Surely we should be trying to engage them in in person, you know, lectures as well. And I thought that's also really interesting about conferences. So many of the times someone's just there with a PowerPoint presentation and they give the talks and, you know, all this kind of thing. Whereas I think having it online offers so many more opportunities. I attended a, um, the Exarch Berlin conference that was online uh, back in March as well. Um, that was one of the first online conferences I attended. And they had uh, uh, the method where the presenters would upload YouTube, uh, upload their videos to YouTube at specific points uh, within the program. So you watched via YouTube and then the discussion was done via Discord, sort of typed uh, via Discord. Um, and a couple of the speakers had were really inventive in the way that they presented things. It was about open air museums. So they had done sort of like 3D uh you know, images of the museums that they moved around. They had done on-site videos of themselves, you know, so rather than just presenting in front of their computer screen, they were actually filming next to a house reconstruction, you know, something like that. So I think that it has a lot of potential for those subjects which might be considered, um, which, which don't need a practical interaction and actually which having a digital form would enable you to see more. So for example, filming around a 
house or, you know, uh, something like that. I think that there's a lot of potential for that. And there's actually a lot more that can be done digitally than would be done in person. The only ones that I can think of that would be still better for me personally, um, in person would be more practical ones like the XR conference, for example. Now we're on to our final break. And <laughs> and we're back and we're talking to the fi- this is the final segment of this special episode of the Archaeology Podcast Network Conferences Podcast. Um, we've been talking about the AAs, a virtual conference, and we've talked just there about um, other whether this technology going forward is the replacement uh, for other conferences as well. And I'd like to add my own thoughts on that as well, because I think the, the there are many benefits uh, to having it online virtual conferences, but there are also negatives. And I, I think that um, the idea that everything can be solved by technology um, really do- misses the point. I think it was a really, really good example that you brought up when you talked about people being inventive. And there's no reason why those same people can't be as inventive in face-to-face conferences as well. I'm a big, big fan of talks that are fun, that are engaging, that are interesting, you know? And it's it's difficult to present, you know? I've um I've both presented at conferences and have also been a session Mm -hmm. organizer and i understand like standing behind that podium i know for somebody who does lots of talking on podcasts i actually find speaking in per in public Mm. quite difficult um i enjoy it but i'm also terrified by it um so i understand that it is a nerve-wracking procedure but at the same time i think i i really enjoy the conversations and the talks that people do that are just, you know, just that bit different um, that are kind of like using more technology, but that's the unreliability of technology because um, we all, we have all been in, in a conference room where the sound doesn't work or the video play doesn't play back properly because the university that they're at is, you know, the, the Windows media player they're using is not got the right codec, you know, there's, there's things that people, people use PowerPoints because it's, Mm -hmm. it'll work, you know? So I, I think, I think going forward, um, I think there's some really inventive things that you can do with online oh. platforms. And especially, um, I actually, I dipped in night of the Xark one. Um, and that was really good because like I was like, I still am working from home and it was actually just nice to have it on in the background. It was like yes. my little, mm-hmm. like my little chatter in the background and I was just <laughs> like working away. Really? exactly or like yeah. having a podcast on i really enjoyed that uh but i mean a good a uh, good friend of mine um actually said to me well there is another problem because so um for a number of conferences i actually have the um i have the privilege to actually go and record conferences uh with uh landward research uh doug rocks mcqueen and his team and um there are times when people don't want to be recorded and there are times when people feel that having that even just having it in the room 
makes them worried, you know? And I just want to finally wrap up with, you know, this is the other side of it is that if we go digitally, it does mean that, you know, it's very difficult to prevent somebody recording sessions if they're viewing them online, you know? Uh, And, and this is this, and then, you know, and it sounds weird, but like there are times in conferences where people can give out information that's not meant to be publicly available. And this is a very weird mm. balancing act where um, mm. public knowledge is also obviously very, very important, but at the same time, up-to-date research might actually be, there might be a danger in making up-to-date research available to people who might want to like um might want to use get access to sites and stuff like that what do you, how do you feel about those kind of issues well it's actually so i know for example that the eaa when this was going on they were recording them um and they were going to provide the recordings later i think it's also it's so related to that issue as well of of sort of almost open access publication too um right like the idea of okay how how open should we really be about the research that we're doing? Which, to be honest, for me personally, especially now, I'm much more involved with uh, Canadian archaeology. My research focuses on Arctic Canada. Um, and so a lot of my work is more, very heavily involved with Inuit um, communities. And I mean, that's sort of a, a, perhaps a more extreme version of it. So, you know, I can't, I'm there coming in. I'm not Inuit, obviously. Um, so, what, what right do I have to not share my research and the research that I'm doing with those people who are, who have a direct link in terms of heritage, in terms of identity, in terms of land, in terms of, you know, all, all aspects of things with the material that I'm studying. Um, as I say, that's perhaps a more extreme version, but I mean, even in terms of, of European side of things, is it actually... I mean, and uh, I, this is why I love sort of the podcasts and, and everything as well, because it is it is making archaeological research more accessible and it is making it more widely known. And although I understand that there are issues, um, it's not so relevant, I guess, for my own research for that, but there are issues in terms of sites, you know, with looting and uh, that side of things. So I can definitely understand why it would be an issue. But it's, I think that Oh, it's hard to say this without <laughs> without studying treading on someone's toes. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells, but um, it's. I think it's hard to um, not then just sort of re- retain the ivory tower of academia, if that makes sense. So say, oh yes, but this is just meant for us guys, you know. Like, don't tell anyone about it. Um, I think that that's a very uh, a slightly more elitist way of approaching archaeological research, and in which case. Why, why is that work being done? You know, the the relevance of the work that you're doing to the wider community needs to be maintained. Um, so I think if you feel like, if you feel that you cannot share that research with the wider community, then, you know, maybe how, how the research is being done needs to be approached in a different way. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I know this is just from my own perspective and I'm sure there's lots of people out there who are going, what, she has no Mm -hmm. idea, but this is my, yeah, my, my opinion on the subject, shall we say. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, and as like I, I, I completely understand that because I, I think it's absolutely it is the right question to ask is that our conferences like who are the conferences for you know like we've all agreed on archaeologists That's getting it. together to present ideas to each other but you know 
it's it's very much mm-hmm. in the mindset of um of it all being kind of like oh it's all to do with uh like oh, how how to put it like it's all it's to do <laughs> yeah no no it's 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 like well all archaeology should be public archaeology you know um that's that's my opinion but i i know exactly i know exactly what you're saying there in terms of oh it's to do with um like how how do we share information uh, that's, that's it's not just like blocking it off mm. for everybody i mean the thing is if we are able to get to more people uh, does that mean that archaeology will get better you know is is this how to move things forward um or do we need to have conferences that are public archaeology conferences instead you know mm. do we need to have something do we need to separate that out but those are all questions that can have <laughs> Lots of probably have already had lots of discussions about them. Um, I'm pretty sure that somebody's definitely tried to tackle that in in the Digipub Arc world, my favorite kind of world. Um, but yeah, um, well, that I think that really sums up a lot of the thoughts that I had about this. And you know, I, I really appreciate you sitting down and talking to me about this. No worries. <laughs> Thank you for uh, having me. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about your when the next uh, Friendly Friday is and yes. uh, what what are your plans for the next couple of Friendly Fridays? Yeah, so it's finally Friday, actually. Yeah, sorry. Oh, finally, I, sorry. I, I, I talked way too quickly, so I'm sorry I can't pronounce it properly. Um, so actually, the next one is coming up on October. Let me just, it's the first Friday of every month. Um, so that I think oh, my mouse isn't working now, typically I need to check the date. Um, so it's on October 3rd, I think is the, is the Friday. Uh, here it's, uh, so, um, I'll just say that again so that I can get it right. Uh, why is it gone? Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, October 2nd. Okay. I'll just start that bit again. Um, so yes. Yeah, so the next episode is, uh, going to be on October 2nd. It's always on the first Friday of every month. Uh, through Discord, through the Exarch Discord server. And you can find all the information of how to join and everything through the the website, Exarch website, um, www.exarch.net. And uh, the next one is going to be all about uh, the pottery, actually. Um, The Potter's Wheel, there's a big conference coming up in Amsterdam. Um, I think that one will be in person uh, in November about pottery and specifically about technology and innovation related to uh, ancient pottery. So we have two guest speakers about that. The next um, finished episode, which was all about um, sewing and uh, past textiles, is going to be released uh, either this week or next week. So that will also turn up on the on the website at some point. And yeah, in terms of the next uh, couple of episodes, I know that for the next one, um, the the next one that will be released is all about interpretation in open air museums. It was a really interesting episode, that one actually talking about uh, how we view the past, how we display the past, who has the right to display which parts of the past. It was very relevant, I will say, to a lot of issues that are going on in the world right now. Um, and yeah, so so the aim is to continue with different themes, different specialists from various walks of life. We're going to be doing ones about different technologies, different approaches to technology, different parts of archaeology. So uh, yeah, and it's welcome. Everyone is welcome to join and the podcast is free to listen to. So uh, very, very happy for anyone to listen along if they're interested at all in anything related to archaeology, basically. Excellent, excellent. And uh, just finally, uh, where can people find your work and your stuff online? If you oh, want yes, to so 
promote yourself? Yeah, um, so I my official uh, work is at the University of Groningen um, in the Netherlands. So I'm a PhD student there. You're also uh, I am on uh, social media as Stone Age Monkey, um, and I share my my research that I'm doing and also uh, other fun archaeology related things I'm doing on there. So very happy to chat to anyone who's interested in, in stuff there as well. Great, excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.